Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today in the show, we are talking about the freeze stress response, which is appropriate because uh, the city of Memphis, which is where we record this podcast, is frozen. Um, if you are listening to this when it airs, um, there has just been a massive ice storm come through Memphis. And um, for those of you in different parts of the country who experience uh, real winter, you might be laughing. And I would just say there are trees down everywhere. Power is out everywhere. Um, and are we unprepared? Yes, we are, but it still affects us. And so because of the, um, both the driving conditions, as well as not having power in our studio, um, as well as in Becca McKay, who joined us and expressive arts therapist, Jill Stockberger, uh, both of them, uh, had no power in their homes as well. Uh, we all jumped on our phones on Zoom and uh, made this thing happen. And so I, I will say uh, two quick things. One is if this is your first episode in the in the stress response series you're listening to, definitely go back to the fight episode um, because we, we explained in that one a big picture overview of stress responses in general and what they are, um, how they function in your body biologically, all of that. So you'll definitely want to hear that. Second is um, that... This this episode is really great from a practical standpoint. So if you've got um, folks, either yourself or uh, loved ones, kids, relatives, um, partners, spouses, friends that deal with freeze as their stress response, um, there are some really helpful tips and tricks for how to um, help folks get back to regulation um, when they're stuck in that in that freeze response. Um, Becca McKay, I, who you may have heard this little fact before, but worked for years and years in um, the school setting, um, in kind of the office of dean of students type um, roles and, um, and behavioral um, behavioral team, you know, type of roles. She was so, so good practically at um, working with kids who were dealing with freeze in particular. And so um, she gives some perspective there. Uh, Jill Stockberger, as I mentioned, is an expressive arts therapist and, um, and just match of creativity and knowledge of the brain and and of just how it functions um, is she's brilliant. So you're going to love hearing from the two of them today. Again, forgive the audio quality. It is slightly different than usual, um, but we are excited to bring you this episode today. And uh, now without any further ado, here are Becca McKay, Jill Stockberger, and myself talking about the freeze response. Okay, well, uh, first of all, I feel like as we get going today, I need to preface that um, for you listening in the rest of the country, it's going to sound like we are all um, either underwater or on a Zoom call, whatever. That's because we are. Um, I am not in studio today because I can't get there because the whole city of Memphis is uh, under ice. <laughs> we, um, that ice storm, I know all of us actually have been personally affected by it. Like we've got a branch sticking through our roof currently. Jill has no power and Becca, uh, her power has been flickering on and off. And so, um, I'll just say that to say, if you hear abnormal noises today, roll with it with us because we are all, um, uh, really, I think we're all in our own stress responses today <laughs> as a result of, um, our environments. But, uh, Becca McKay from ETC is here and Jill Stockberger, who is an expressive arts therapist who works with us in our, uh, Memphis, uh, family connection center clinic here in the city, um, is with us as well. And so Jill, we're thankful for you to be with us and, um, and Becca, obviously you too. Um, we've been talking about our stress responses and how we um, move and mold through those. We've talked about flight. We've talked about fight. 
as a quick reminder, as I said in the intro, if you haven't listened to those, go back and start there because we're kind of building on the content with each um, episode. So our stress response is what happens when we go into our survival brain. We know the amygdala goes up and logic and reason go out of the picture. And so um, with that as the preface, today we're going to talk about freezing. And so, um, Becca, let me start with you and say, uh, will you just kind of run through what what does it mean to have a freeze stress response and what does that what can that look like? Absolutely. It's also appropriate that everything outside is frozen right now while we're recording <laughs> the episode about freeze. If you hear some tree limbs falling, everything is frozen. <laughs> us and the world. So true. Yes. Um, the freeze stress response is what it sounds like. It's when you just can't move, think, speak, you're just stuck. And so what happens to an outsider looking in is you make assumptions about what that person is thinking or feeling or what their motivation is. And you might be like, they're ignoring me. Or you might think like, they're, they're not, they don't care about what I'm saying. They're not showing me that they're interested. So we oftentimes assign a lot of motivation there. But the truth is for the person experiencing a freeze response, they can't, they can't talk, they can't move, they can't access their whole brain. Um, and it's a really bad feeling. I shared last episode that I tend to flight when I'm stressed out, but there have been some times, maybe like in an argument where somebody's asking me a question and I'm hearing the question and I'm just sitting there like, I can't form work. I don't know what to say. I can't. And it does feel like it just feels like you're shut down. Like it does not feel good. It feels really weird because you don't have access. And so um, you might see somebody zoning out, losing their words, having a feeling of being stuck. And for kids, sometimes they even fall asleep. So if a kid is stressed out by something, um, this happened at schools a lot where, you know, it's not always just that they're tired, but they might actually be so shut down that they start to go to sleep. Right. So it's your body kind of like shutting down to preserve itself, to preserve its energy, to preserve its reserves. Um, And it can be really weird from the outside looking in. We do a lot of like vulnerability on this podcast. So I will share that the freeze response is the one that annoys me the most when I encounter it because (laughs) the, the other ones, there's like words happening and I feel like I can engage with the person and the freeze one as like, like if I'm trying to help somebody or if I'm in a relationship with somebody and they're freezing, it's really hard for me because I'm like, can't you just tell me what's going on? So I don't know if that resonates at all, but just to be vulnerable with the people, that one is tough. It's tough for me. It is. It's tough. Yeah. Uh, Jill, you know, we were talking about before we started recording today that um, I think each of us could identify a few kind of freezers that we've got in our life or, or you even working with some uh, kids and adults who've got freeze. What what can that look like to those of us from the outside who are kind of seeing it happen? What, what does that look like when we see a stress response of freeze being kind of in place? Um, I think with little bitties I work with, um, oftentimes it might be lowering their body, getting small, almost like iceberg state. Um, And I often think it is so important as a caregiver in that moment to use your body to connect and your breath Mm -hmm. to connect, to literally lower your body and get down to where they are, where you're lower, and it relaxes their nervous system. Um, I had someone also send me a picture of their child one time, a friend, um, And their palms were up and they were sitting there cross-legged and kind of just still and quiet. Um, 
a high energy kid who had done this and asked the caregiver to go sit down and do the exact same thing and see what it was feeling. And she mm-hmm. learned that he was regulating himself. He was trying to regulate uh, himself. That's so good. That's so good. Becca, you know, any, any other thoughts here about what this can look like from the outside for those of us trying to identify it? Absolutely. And I think um, you might be hearing some of our ideas and be like, sounds just like flight. Think about flight and freeze are both trying to avoid danger, whereas fight is trying to fight the danger. And we'll talk about fawn next time. But I think um, some of the same things, like you might see somebody covering their face in freeze mode. You might see somebody last week, we mentioned the hoodie, like hiding under a hood. That could be flight or freeze. Um, You might see uh, hiding, like hiding under covers, hiding under a bed, um, the frozen response, or it could legit just look like they're just not listening. Like it could look like they're just looking behind your shoulder, like zoned out. And sometimes kids do zone out. So it can be hard. Sometimes people do zone out. So it can be hard to identify all the time. Um, but it looks similar to flight. It's just less movement. There's usually like an aspect of immobility going on whenever it's the freeze response. Yeah. So, you know, when we are looking at, and Jill, you talked about this a second ago a little bit, if we're looking at the motivators for this, like what can send you into this response or, or what, um, what's happening, uh, you know, kind of behind the scenes when this is going on, if we're thinking about the core of what uh, drives people to freeze, is it the same as the other responses where it's kind of, uh, yeah, is it the same or is it, is it different with this one? I think it's this. I think it's a lot of the same things. I think it's uh, that self protection, that fear response, but it is this like withdrawing inward into yourself, um, and that can be maybe more so to avoid like shame, to avoid pain, to avoid being hurt. Um, so it can be a little bit. It can, yeah. I think some of them are the same though. Like I think about. Um, maybe you're in an argument. And so maybe it's that conflict avoidance that we talked about. Maybe you are just stressed out by like the task at hand. Maybe it's too hard for you. And so you go into that stress response. Could be it could be sometimes a lack of skill. Like, you know, somebody's giving you 18 directions and you can only remember the first one. So you get frozen because you're like, wait, what was I supposed to do? You know, and we do it all the time as adults. We're like, hey, Let's clean up the table, get ready for dinner, get our backpacks together and get our folders. And then you get mad when they forget the folders. And so if you have a freezer and you've experienced, well, she's always going to be mad that I forget the folders. Well, then you might just like next time, the next day, you might just be frozen. You might be like, okay, I don't want to forget anything. And so it can be this like feeling of, I mean, it is the same as the other ones in that it's a feeling of fear. And I think it can come from similar places. Jill, would you agree with that? I would. I would agree with that. And I was actually thinking from um, a caregiver's perspective, um, windows of tolerance when we have the green zone, the blue zone, the red zone, I often with caregiver and child have them use many figures to illustrate each of those. Mm -hmm. Um, And I often think most caregivers don't think we go to that hypoarousal that mode, but it is, it's a self-preservation. I know when Mm -hmm. things can get chaotic, multiple kids in the room, I'm not sure. So I think as a caregiver, when um, we enter hypoarousal or when I do, um, it's often when there are multiple children in the room, multiple children are dysregulated, and I'm not sure 
who to go to first, um, and I can enter this um, self-preservation mode. I freeze up. And so for me to be able to have this image, this figure when I do windows of tolerance of what I'm like, it helps draw me out of it. And to go back to explain window of tolerance, our green zone is when a child or caregiver is relaxed, their body is ready to move, curious and learn, hypoarousal, um, our nervous system is freezing up. Um, we're stuck. We feel like we can't move. We're numbing out. Hyperarousal is a lot of energy in our body, very active, okay. um, and we're becoming disre dysregulated. Oh, Jill, I love that so much because I feel like you just hit on another thing that triggers that freeze response is like not decision fatigue, but like you're faced with too many decisions and you can't choose yeah. where to start. So I love that you hit on that, um, kind of that motivator for that freeze response. Thanks. Yeah, and I think too, I mean, immediately I think I've, I've had that just as a parent, like I can think about recently uh, going to Memphis Grizzlies basketball game, NBA basketball game. So, you know, lots of people coming in, you're after the game lets out, there's just pandemonium because everyone's excited. The game went so well. Everybody, you know, the Grizzlies won. So as we're trying to get small children from seats in the upper deck, like all the way down through the just care of it. I mean, just so many people shoulder to shoulder, uh, moving toward one place really excitedly. And that's involving an escalator, <laughs> all these different things. There are just a thousand decisions to make in a moment. I've got one asking for a refill for a drink before we leave one, maybe the bathroom. And I pulled them aside to the wall and had to stop for a second and just be like, Whoa, okay, hang on. And I had to take a breath and kind of explain like, Hey, concession stands are closed. Bathroom's right there, but it's going to be a very long line. Why don't we wait till we get, so I had to kind of stop to the side and, and collect myself first. And if that's me as an adult, I can imagine those overwhelming states for kids are only going to be amplified in those situations. And so it does help build some empathy um, to think about it that way. Uh, Jill, I think- And there's so, so much right there, JD, so much with what you just said. You paused, mm -hmm. you lowered to their level, right? Mm -hmm. And you yeah. collected your breath. You were able to calm yourself and enter- their space and give them your calm and co-regulation and attunement. And that came by literally lowering down to their level too. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. It uh, did not feel like a skill in the moment. It felt like I'm going to do this or I'm going to die. And so it was not, <laughs> didn't feel like some massive uh, parenting win, more like, hey, dad's got to do this so I didn't have a panic attack in the middle of the arena. Not called a um, stress response for nothing, J.D. <laughs> So true. So Jill, I'm thinking of your, your role as an expressive arts therapist, like, um, you know, a lot of people might not be super familiar with the ins and outs of what that looks like. Um, do you mind giving us kind of an overview of what that can look like? And then maybe some creative ways using arts or, or, um, or skills in that arena that we could use to help maybe in moments where kids are, are freezing up. Sure. So, um, as an expressive arts therapist, I use the different art modalities of movement, music, visual art, drama, and creative writing to really um, help bring a whole brain approach to healing, um, a bottom-up processing, um, and a neurodevelopmental healing to different trauma triggers um, within the nervous system. So a lot of times when we have those trigger response, they're in our 
right hemisphere. We do not have words. Um, mm -hmm. So if we were thinking in terms of the art modalities, we would think when we, our brain stem, that instinctive reptilian part of the brain that is in freeze mode, we are stuck, right? It's so yeah. important because our... Um, our breathing, to return to that, breathing is going up, we're feeling stuck, we're drawing in. And for a caregiver to come down and lower their body so that their mirror neurons can activate and you can offer your calm to that child and slow that stress response down. Even if you're mirroring their hands a little bit, because we know any type of movement will draw them out of that frozen response. I love that you're saying that though, Jill, because I wonder if people do know that. Like the I think you've said it a couple times, and I just am like it's like making me think back to situations where I dealt with a freeze kid. My go-to a lot of times is to talk more. And I love that you're repeating us over and over again, like move their body, get on their level, mirror what their emotions are, because maybe even more, a little bit more than fight and flight, the body has to be engaged. Like if we don't engage the body we're not going to be able to move through to the next phase, right? Like, I'm just, man, I'm just really resonating with that. Because like with a fighter, if they're yelling words, we can use calm words and movement, but we can use words. But with the freeze response, I just love that you're highlighting. We've got to, we got to think about the movement. We got to think about the body. We got to get on their level. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's so, so insightful. We do. And those are reactive responses. I think some proactive responses for our freeze kids are to have some of those symbols, whether, um, I mean, I have always been amazed when you throw out paper bags, how every age group will start making puppets out of them. So ahead of time with our freeze kids, just knowing practicing, uh, drawing out characters of what they feel like in those moments. Like I said, having a little Mini figure, mine is uh, a Yeti. That's what I feel like when I okay. go into freeze response. I'm bulked up, anchored in, you know, just not wanting to move. Um, and when I have that symbol in my head or I show that to someone who cares about me, they can read my expressions. They understand what's going on. And there's an understanding. So that is a really proactive approach for our freeze kids. Um, I also think the few words is really, really helpful. I go back often to the TBRI principle of two choices. I think for our freeze kids, offering mm. them two choices is really important. Multiple choices is overwhelming. Um, a lot of verbal processing is really overwhelming when our kids are in a freeze zone. So just yeah. two choices gives them the ability to maybe make one choice and and increase that voice and empower them a little bit more. Man, uh, that is so good. And I, I think about the, the um, you know, economy of language, one of the, the phrases that we use in our um, EGC parent course is that uh, maybe the biggest struggle for me as a human being <laughs> is to use that economy of language. And I will catch myself like in a moment where I'm trying to talk through with a kid. And sometimes it's just that the words aren't coming you know, quick enough to my brain to consolidate them. And sometimes I'm so frustrated or upset that I am, you know, allowing that just to come stream of consciousness, but to be able to remember, uh, it does build some empathy and some decision-making moments to say like, man, if, 
more words are going to send this kid deeper into freeze. I can stop for a second and think about what the most concise way is I can say this. And that might help to, to draw it out. Um, Becca, you know, I think as we kind of turn toward our, our last thoughts this morning, like if, if I am somebody who struggles with the freeze response myself and, and Jill, you mentioned a second ago, kind of having a character or a symbol or a, a quick, you know, thing you could show someone who loves you to like, let, let them know where you're at. Becca, can you think of other tactics like for, for those of us who struggle with freeze ourselves, like what are some ways we can use to, to get that, um, help we need? Yeah. And Jill, jump in if you've got things that I haven't thought of. But I think the first thing with every response is you have to know it about yourself. Because if you don't know it about yourself, you're just like going to go into the spiral of shame. And why couldn't I think of the right words? And why did I get stuck? And all those things. So I think the first thing always is take a minute, think about yourself, think about moments where you tend to freeze. Even though I identify with flight, if I'm in a big argument, I'm going to freeze up. And so what I need to know about that is I need to give myself a couple of those short phrases. I need to learn how to say, I'm a little stuck. That's, you know, a couple of words, four words, I'm a little stuck. And then I need to be able to like, at least try to practice saying those words outside the moment. Hey, sometimes when we're arguing, I get a little stuck. Next time it happens, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that so that you know what's going on. So just giving yourself before the moment of stress, some strategies, like a couple of phrases you could use. And then um, if, you know, in the moment, it's going to take practice, right? Like if you are somebody who gets super, super, super frozen, we talk about this every time, you're not going to automatically just become somebody that can snap out of it really quick, but you can work towards that. So think about moving your body. Like, okay, I'm going to go get a drink of water. And then like we talked about, we don't want to avoid the conflict or the stressor altogether. We want to hold ourselves accountable. And so I'm going to go get a drink of water and then come back to this situation. If you're the parent scanning the room with the four kids and you don't know where to start, I'm going to walk away. I'm going to grab my cup of coffee and I'm going to come back to this situation and give yourself some movement that can help get you unstuck. Um, Taking a drink of water, like something just that simple sometimes can really help to like move your body from freeze kind of out of it a little bit and you'll have a little bit more access. And I think, yeah, just, just know it about yourself, tell your people and come up with a couple of strategies. I'm sure I'm missing, I'm sure I'm missing other ideas. Um, yeah, I'm sure I'm missing other ideas. JD and Jill, you guys might have some other ones that you're thinking of. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's all so, so good. And I think, um, you know, we've already talked a lot about how to support our kids, our people who, who are struggling with freeze kind of as they're freezing. Jill, you touched on something a moment ago when you talked about um, outside of the moment, like outside of one of those stress response moments, having kids um, identify with characters or find, um, you know, miniature action figures or cartoon characters, or whatever to identify with. Are there some other ways, um, especially in the realm of the arts that we can work with, you know, our kids, friends, spouses, partners, you know, neighbors, whoever, um, outside of the moment to help them identify with those moments in particular? Sure. So um, if I'm going to think about whole brain integration, and we'll just do it from bottom-up proactive strategies. So first, thinking about returning to our breath, um, thinking about our brainstem. I think practicing breathing outside the moment. There's a fun little book called Alpha Breaths, and there's a different animal breath for each each letter of the alphabet that you can practice with oh, your child. Great. 
And then I think for us caregivers um, and adolescents headspace, or even the simple four, seven, eight breathing technique is really helpful for our um, freeze component. So practicing that returning to the breath, slowing down our breath and using it um, outside of uh, movement. I think um, just practicing with one another, um, practicing moving down when you see a child in that moment. For our caregivers who are frozen, um, and when we go into that state, even drawing close to a child can help us then. That human connection, those mirror neurons will pull us out of that state. So even a movement like that, like as Becca was saying, I might go get a, a sip of water and then come back and find one child I sit next to or I draw close to in the room. And then I can start yeah. reading how I might help them and move out of my state and engage in parenting again, right? And become emotionally present. Um, If I move up to the limbic system or mammalian part of the brain, I think in terms of visual art and drama, and that's where we do that simple like making puppets or drawing out a picture or um, practicing in that way with the puppets and then moving up to that symbolic, that top part of our brain, um, because when we are in that stress response, it is we are not in our logic brain. We are not in the left hemisphere. So that right hemisphere, really thinking in terms of symbolism, that's those scripts that Becca was talking about, those few phrases. Um, like okay. I said, sometimes little mini figures or characters help draw us out, ex- separate us from the moment, externalize the stress response, and create understanding between caregiver and child. Gosh, it's so helpful. Um, I, I mean, I love all of that. And I think about the, the character thing in particular, we, we do have a few go-to, are you feeling like so-and-so in the movie Inside Out? It's obviously been very helpful for us with that. Um, but you know, it, it is, it can be a really helpful tool. And so thank you for that, Jill. Um, Becca, as we kind of close up here, um, it, do you mind giving us, when we've covered a bunch of ground today, do you mind giving us a, a quick recap of kind of uh, what we've talked about and then sort yeah. of our, our closing notes for people today? Absolutely. I'm thinking of one story that I think kind of sums it up. Um, I worked at in schools for six years in different roles, and we had kind of a classic freezer, a little guy who had been through some significant trauma who would literally sit in the corner, cover his face. And so um, outside the moment, what I knew that I had to do because I had time and other people didn't was be super playful and connected with that kid. So as many times as I could see him throughout the day when I had time, I would pop in, I would say hi to him. He would draw me a picture. I would draw him a picture back. We built a connection outside the moment. And then every morning, and it was like clockwork, every morning I get a call over the radio, Miss Becca, can you come to the cafeteria? Your friend is in the corner. And I love what you're saying, Jill, with all these different creative ideas, because what I learned from that kid was that I was going to have to be flexible and creative every single day. And so one day I grabbed a soccer ball and started kicking it against the wall. And then he joined in with me and started kicking it back and forth to me. Another day I gave him a piece of paper and I just started drawing, like you're saying, Jill, with the mirroring. And then he started drawing next to me. Like I didn't say anything to him. I just sat down and started drawing. And it was like, then I would try that again and it wouldn't work. And so what I had to do <laughs> was willing to be creative because it was yeah. being, it was that it was having those creative ways of like, my goal is to 
get side by side with this kid, show him that I'm with him and try to help him move back to Jill talked about the logical language part of his brain. And he just couldn't. And so that's one story that I think of that I I think about all the time when I'm thinking about freeze, because, you know, I want, I want to tell you guys, give them, you know, give them a notebook and tell them they can always draw their feelings. And that's going to work twice out of 50 times. Right. And I want to say, you know, get him a drink of water. And that's going to work maybe five times out of 50 times. And I want to say, like, I want to, you know, you know, and I think that this is something that we have to walk the line, right? Even on this podcast of like, we want you guys to hear these practical strategies and tools, but there's no one way. And that's even right. one kid, there's no one way. But the more you get yeah. to know them, this kid was into sports. So the soccer ball, or I would be drawing a picture. I don't care anything about football. I would be drawing a picture of a football because I knew that he would want to color it. And so just like connecting some way with what they're interested in. We haven't talked a lot in this episode, but using play and playfulness can be really helpful. Um, And another thing that you can do, especially at home, is if it's not like if it's not a time directed request that you're asking them to do and you can tell that they're frozen being in the same room but not forcing them to talk to you can help them to settle down so like kid who needs to do homework and they're just frozen and you can tell they're frozen maybe you grab your laptop and you just sit next to them at the kitchen table and you just do your work and see if they ask for help or whatnot but don't push it if that makes sense like just being in proximity can be really helpful sometimes it is like i've got to ask you to do something or i've got to ask you a question but sometimes kids freeze up and we just observe it and just get close just offer yourself in proximity so those are just anyway kind of maybe scattered but a couple of thoughts that i have about how to support somebody who freezes. Maybe some of that will work if you freeze yourself as well. And I just think we always, always want to offer connection and presence as our go-to, no matter what the stress response is. And don't get discouraged if you tried the drawing the football yesterday and it doesn't work today. Just don't get discouraged. Continue to be flexible and creative. That's so good. Becca, thank you. Jill, thank you. I feel like this has been really, really helpful and practical. Um, We can't wait to talk to you all again soon. Well, I hope you did enjoy the episode today with Jill and Becca. Um, I'll just tell you, as we were um, basically shut in over the last couple days with the ice and and down trees everywhere, including on our own house um, and on my car, uh, (laughs) there was just a lot more family time than we had planned on. And so a lot more more kid and parent time. And uh, I will say some of the things that Jill brought up um, were extremely helpful for us over the weekend. And so uh, I hope they can be as helpful for you as they have been for us as well. Uh, next week, we'll continue our series on stress responses with our, our conclusion to it. It'll be uh, talking about the fawn stress response, which is maybe the least known of the four stress responses, but uh, one of the most fascinating and one that uh, I think will help uh, many of you at home to unlock kind of what might be going on with yourselves or with those that you care for. And so uh, we'll have uh, our licensed therapist, uh, Stella Sinaj, on with us, and it's going to be uh, a fantastic episode. So I hope you tune in next week to hear about the fawn response for everybody here at ETC, uh, for Mo and Tana Ottinger, for uh, our entire team, um, for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, and Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the ETC podcast. I'm J.D. Wilson, and we'll see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast.